0: Well, we are in our series, Prophets, and if you have a Bible, go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We get excited for the first scripture in the message. I want to talk to you today about unsafe faith. We're living in wild times, and wild times require an unsafe faith, a faith that is willing to walk through dangerous situations. And Daniel was one of the prophets in the Old Testament God used when Israel was in exile. Israel had been taken over by the Babylonian Empire and they were being ruled by a godless king um, and these young Hebrew boys were serving under the king and three of them, we're going to find out in Daniel chapter 3, had a choice in this moment to either live with an unsafe faith or to succumb to a compromising faith, a faith that would blend in with what everyone else was doing. In verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned all of the mayors and the governors and the judges and the officials, the leaders, to bring them to the dedication of his golden image. By the way, growing up, I I watched this play out in a show called Veggie Tales. How many of y'all remember Veggie Tales? And in Veggie Tales... There was this king, and he, he had chocolate bunnies, and he made a big bunny. The bunny, the bunny, ooh, I like the bunny. Anyways, anyone else grow up on Tales? All right. So I can't help but see the tomato, Larry. I can't help but see the cucumber. But here, here's the point. Um, in this moment, the king was commanding everyone to come to the dedication of this golden image. King Nebuchadnezzar had set it up, and in verse 4, he sends this herald out in front of all the people. And the herald says, nations, people of all tribes, every language, every tongue, this is what you are commanded to do. And I want you to underline that because this was not an option. This was a government mandate. This was a government commandment. This is what they were commanding everyone to do. You could not get out of this. As soon as you hear the sound of music, you must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. You gotta know when to bow and when not to bow. Unsafe faith is willing to stand when everyone else is bowing. Unsafe faith, by the way, God never called us to be popular. He called us to be holy. He never called us to fit in. He called us to stand out. Unsafe faith is willing to take a stand when no one else will. Unsafe faith is willing to say things that may not be politically correct. (laughs) And yet, here these guys are, and they're watching as the entire nation, not just their nation, but every tribe, every tongue begins to bow. In verse 7, as the music began to play, everyone fell down and began worshiping this golden image. And in verse 8, it says, At this time, there were astrologers who were living in Babylon, and they came to denounce the Americans. No, who did they denounce? The Jews. Americans weren't around back then. The point is this. Since the beginning There has always been a disdain from one tribe against the Jews. There's always been a group of people who, in Esther's time, it was Haman. Uh, In this time, in other times, it was the Canaanites. It was the Hittites, the Amalekites. It was, in this moment, it was the Babylonians. They did not like how the Jews were standing out in this moment. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty made a decree that everyone must bow down and worship the golden image. And if they don't, they would be thrown into a blazing, fiery furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they pay no attention to you. Your majesty, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set. When you have chosen to bow to the king of kings, you're not afraid to refuse to bow to any other king or any other thing here on earth. These guys had a deeper allegiance to a greater king. They had a stronger faith in God than a fear of man. We're living in a time where you have to fear God more than you fear man. And when you fear God, you don't fear anything else. You don't fear anyone else. I want to go to two more scriptures, Isaiah 43, verse one, another prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah. He said this, but now this is what the Lord says. This is the word of God. He says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. This is a word from God to someone in church today. You are not alone. You are not by yourself. You are not outnumbered. God is with you. He who formed you stands beside you. In verse 2, he says, when you pass through waters, when you go through hard times, when you're walking through trials in your family, in your marriage, with children, as a single, whatever season of life you're in, he says, I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you pass through rivers and you feel like you're in over your head, and there's wars and rumors of wars and there's famines and there's earthquakes and there's economic downturns he says i will stand with you and the water will not take you out when you walk through the fire you will not be burned the flames will not set you ablaze in other words god said i'm not promising you a fire-free life but i am promising you a fireproof in the midst of every trial and fire you face God says, I'm going to walk with you through dangerous situations. I'm going to walk with you through unsafe places. I want to look at one more verse, 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7. If there was anyone to talk about an unsafe faith, it was Peter. Peter was the one disciple who decided to step out of the boat and walk on water. Talk about a guy who was willing to do some dangerous things. Peter was the guy that cut a dude's ear off. And Jesus had to pick it back up and put it on the guy's side of his head. Peter was a little wild, but Peter had also been persecuted for his faith. After Jesus rose from the grave and the book of Acts began and and Peter preached that first sermon on Pentecost, thousands of people got saved. But right after that, Peter was deeply persecuted by all kinds of different people. They threw him in jail. They tried to kill him. Multiple times, Peter's life was threatened. And he says in verse six, in all of these trials and troubles and difficulties that we go through in life, I say greatly rejoice. How do I rejoice, Peter, when life is hard, when life is overwhelming, when there's all kinds of reasons to be depressed and discouraged and anxious? He says, even though you go through hard times for a little while, even though you suffer grief and loss and pain and all kinds of trials, I'm telling you today in verse seven, he says, that these trials have come to draw a line in the sand. These trials have come to prove the genuineness of your faith. If your faith is only intact when things are easy, when life is comfortable, when life is convenient, when faith doesn't cost you anything, when you don't lose things on the other side of standing for Jesus, he says, listen, God's drawing a line in the sand. These trials and tests have come to prove how far you will follow Jesus. There are some people who will only follow Jesus as long as there's free loaves and fishes. As long as he's paying the bill. As long as he's providing the meals. There are some people who will only follow Jesus as long as it's trending. As long as it's popular, as long as it's comfortable and convenient and all is well. And when I need to pay my taxes, the coin is in the fish's mouth and God's already done everything I need him to do. And he's answered all my prayers and the OU Sooners are winning and USC is losing and the Dallas Cowboys are winning. As long as everything is well and he heals my kids and he heals my dad and all my prayers get answered, my faith is good. But Peter says, when your dad doesn't get healed. And when your kid is still suffering from the same disease you've been praying for for 10 years, and when you've given your tithes and offerings and you're still running short, and when you've done everything you know to do and you still feel like you're losing, real faith begins on the other side of disappointment, on the other side of pain, on the other side of trials, on the other side of things not going the way you thought they would go. Peter says these things are proving Who's really following Jesus, not just for what he can give them, not just for his hand, but seeking his heart? He says these trials have come to make your faith worth more than gold. Gold perishes even though it's refined by fire, but your faith is strong. And after you've gone through these hard trials and tests, what was meant to break you is going to be a breakthrough. He says what what was meant to take you out, what was meant to destroy your faith, what was meant to damage you for good, if you hold on to Jesus when everything else is fading. Listen, you can hold on to your stuff, but eventually it's going to fade. You can hold on to people, but eventually they're going to leave or they're going to pass away. But you can hold on to Jesus, and he's not going anywhere because he's holding on to you. If there's one thing you should hold on to in 2023, it is a relationship with Jesus. He's coming back soon. And Peter says, if you hold on to the word, if you hold steadfast in your faith, if you live through these trials and you don't lose your faith, it will result in praise, glory, and honor. You'll have a testimony of God's grace and his faithfulness on the other side of these trials. So Lord, I pray you speak to us today about living with unsafe faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I remember going to Africa several years ago on a mission trip. We were ministering in Uganda, Rwanda, and Tanzania. And one afternoon, they said, anyone want to go on a safari ride? We were like, yes. And so we drove out from our mission base. And we drove down this road. And we began to see zebras out in the wild. Then we saw giraffes. We saw cheetahs out there. Just not in a cage, not in a zoo, like out in the wild. We saw a pack of lions or a pride of lions. And it was incredible. I remember seeing the elephants and the lions and crocodiles. And and, I mean, it was just amazing. I was literally like speechless just watching these animals untamed, uncivilized, undomesticated, uncaged, living with boldness, just striding with confidence. Then my wife and I, we went on our anniversary trip, which by the way, we just celebrated 14 years being married. (laughs) Love you, babe. And we went on an anniversary trip to Wyoming and we were hiking through the mountains and we literally came across bears 10 feet in front of us, just bears out in the wild, not in a zoo, not in a cage, and they were happy, they were excited, they were having a good time, they were living with this sense of like wild, undomesticated life. And I couldn't wait to tell our kids and show our kids these animals and and we couldn't take them on these trips and so I thought the next best option is the Tulsa Zoo. So, I take them to the Tulsa Zoo. We take them there. And, y'all, when we got to the zoo and we saw what what bears have to go through in the zoo, I want to just show you a picture of the bears behind the cages because I literally was so sad. I was like, these guys just look depressed. Like, he just looks like he's really lonely and discouraged. And I'm like, please, someone set this guy free. And then, seeing the lions in cages, the lions that were meant to roar, the lions that were meant to live uncaged and bold, and the king of the jungle, standing behind those cages, and then they're sleeping in the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps, and yet we're in the zoo, and this lion is sleeping all day, every day, he's lost, he's lost his, his purpose. And I was looking at these animals and I was like, the contrast between animals in the wild and animals in cages is so similar to Christians who are living with a caged Christianity, civilized by religion, apathetic, living caged, safe Christian lives, living under the fear of man, living the safe life, shackled by people's opinions, shackled by the pressure To be politically correct. Shackled by the pressure of of the fear of failure. The fear of rejection. Paul, what if I lose followers on Instagram for taking a stand right now? Paul, what if I witness in the workplace and they don't like it and I lose my job? Shackled by what might go wrong. Shackled. Shackled in a caged Christianity. Shackled by the shame of their past. What if they find out the mistakes I've made? But Jesus did not come to planet earth to make us shackled, caged Christians. Jesus did not come to the earth to make us lukewarm, nice, quiet Christians sitting in a corner. He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Jesus did not come to tame or domesticate the church. Jesus came to unleash the God potential in the church. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In this book, he allegorically describes who God is, and he gives God the figure of a lion named Aslan. There's a little girl who wanders into Narnia, Susan, and she finds out that Aslan, the God figure, is a lion. She thought he was going to be a nice, quiet gentleman, and she finds out he's a roaring lion. She then asks another character in Narnia, Mr. Beaver, she says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, to which Mr. Beaver looks at her and says, nervous. She says, yes, is Aslan safe? I mean, he's a lion, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good, he's the king. Church, I don't know if we've all read the fine print in here. Some of us have bought into a Christianity that makes things safe and comfortable. But when I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, nothing about faith in God is safe. Nothing about it is convenient or comfortable. If you tell Christians who are in the Middle East right now, this is all going to be safe and easy and it's going to be perfect and rainbows and butterflies and unicorns and it's all going to work out great, they're going to look at you and laugh. And they're going to say, we didn't sign up for that. We signed up for a life of surrender and sacrifice. We signed up for a life. We would rather follow Jesus and lose our lives than follow some safe, caged, civilized religion that keeps us in a corner. And we might survive the terrorist attacks. We might blend in. But what are we living for? Revelation 12 says, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives, even unto death. In other words, believers in the end times, and we are living in the end times. If you want to know where the world is headed, read your Bible. The prophets all tell us. In the end, there will be a line in the sand, and God will find out who truly is following his son. You either have the, 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 the lion of the tribe of Judah on the inside of you, or you have the mark of the beast. And it will be easy for people to conveniently, comfortably opt out of anything that would cause them to sacrifice so that they can blend in with society. Christians will have to have a commitment. This message is a call to live with an unsafe faith. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 12, since the days of John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? He was the guy that wore a loincloth. He ate locust and honey. He baptized people in the Jordan River. He called out the Pharisees. He called out King Herod. He wasn't afraid to challenge leaders in charge. And then Jesus says, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. This is not a time for the church to sit back and be quiet and sit in a corner. I I sense that we are headed towards the end times, and in the end, it will be like the days of Noah. The church better get ready. Jesus said in Matthew 10 verse 16, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, don't lose the purity of your heart, but don't you dare for a second think you're walking through safe situations you are in dangerous places so you better have thick skin and a soft heart you better be prepared for persecution jesus said get ready it's coming think about when jesus walked during the wild times that he was living in jesus was not a safe savior he invited people to, 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 to go through storms. He invited people to stand up to demons. He invited people, literally, to, to walk on water. Jesus was flipping tables in the temple. He was turning water into wine. He was raising the dead. He was healing blind eyes. He was casting out devils. He was changing the hardest of hearts. He was standing up to those who were no one was willing to stand up for. And in John 14, 12, he says, The things that I did, you will do and even Greater. But I wonder, throw that picture of that sad bear behind that cage up one more time because I wonder if some of us have lost our appetite for the uncomfortable faith that Jesus has called us to walk in. I wonder if some of us have settled for a caged, docile, civilized. Paul, you don't know what I've been through. I've lost people. I've walked through pain. I've lost too many things to stand up, to stand out, to shout, to worship, to pray. I've just been through too many painful things, and I'm ashamed of my past, and I'm shackled by the opinions of others. And Jesus is calling you out. He came to set the captives free. What made Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand out is that they were different than everyone else in Babylon. I wanna give you real quickly seven reasons these guys stood out. Number one, they had character. They refused to do wrong even before godless kings. In Babylon, sexual depravity was everywhere. Anything went. You could do whatever you wanted to do at the expense of others, but these guys, rather than letting the culture of Babylon shape their character, their character shaped the culture of Babylon. Number two, they had competence. They didn't just live lazy lives. They worked hard on their skills. They didn't just rely on the favor of God. They chose to work hard at what God had called them to do. They studied books. They got wiser and wiser. Number three, they had compassion. They never lost their love for others, even in an enemy culture. In a world where people are trying to pit people against others, Christians against Muslims, this group against that group, y'all, God has called us to walk in love with all people, regardless of whether you agree with them or believe what they believe. We aren't to treat anybody with dishonor or disrespect. We're called to walk in compassion. This is how these guys live. You can stand for something and still live with compassion for people who don't stand for what you stand for. You don't have to lose your compassion just because of your convictions. Number four, they had commitment. They were loyal to God despite the intense pressure to compromise and to to do what everyone else was doing. They were all in with their faith. They were committed unto death. Number five, they had charisma. Charisma. They had joy. They weren't walking around with depression, with defeated faces. They weren't walking around like every day was God's funeral, like it's just terrible out here. It's the end times, and we're all doomed, and we're all going to die, and we're all in the book of Lamentations the rest of our lives. They weren't depressed. They had joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Just because there's wars in the world doesn't mean the church needs to act like we're defeated and we're all going down in the grave. Y'all, the end of the book says he is victorious. The message of Jesus is not a message of depression and defeat. It's a message of victory, hope, and joy. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Don't lose your joy. Number six, they had courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward even when fear is right in your face. They had courage to go through a fire. They had courage to stand in the lion's den. They had courage to stand up to the kings of Babylon. They had courage even when no one else would stand, they stood. And number seven, they had convictions. They refused to eat the meat of the king. They refused to drink his wine. They refused to live like everybody else in Babylon. What made these guys have such strong convictions is they weren't standing alone. Church, if there was ever a time for us to gather together, Hebrews says, don't neglect the assembly of brothers and sisters in the faith. Why? Because when we are together, we are stronger. You need to surround yourself with those who are on the same mission as you. I love this picture of these lions who are walking together. They've all got the same mission. When you come to Victory Sunday 11 a.m. service, you are in the lion's den. You are surrounded by some bold, righteous lions. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You're surrounded by some Simbas, some Mufasas, some Nalas. Let me hear you roar, church. Roar in a world that's telling the church to shut up and be quiet, this is a time for the church to roar. We are part of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is not safe, but he's good. And so these men stood, and when they stood in verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar was furious with rage, and he summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, is it true that you will not bow when everyone else is bowing? When the music plays, is it true that you choose to stand instead of bow? Church, we gotta know when to bow and when not to bow. Whatever you bow to, you'll be bound to. If you bow to culture now, you'll be bound to culture later. If you bow to Christ now, you'll be bound to Christ later. I've made a decision of who I'm going to bow to. God did not call me to be popular. He called me to be holy. God did not call me to blend in. He called me to stand out. And I refuse to bow to the fear of man. I refuse to bow to the demand from pop culture on which values are acceptable. I refuse to bow to the spirit of anger in America and slander on social media. I refuse to bow to the spirit of dishonor towards police officers, teachers, pastors, and leaders. I refuse to bow to the spirit of dishonor towards God and Jesus and his word and creation. I refuse to bow to the spirit of Hamas and the anti-Israel hatred. I refuse to bow towards any hatred towards another nationality. I refuse to bow to fitting in with everything our nation promotes. I refuse to bow to compromising my beliefs to make somebody on Google happy. I refuse to bow what others say or think about me. I refuse to bow to the fear of being canceled on YouTube. I refuse to bow to the idolatry of money or greed. I refuse to bow to a defeated mindset of sin. I refuse to bow to negativity, toxicity, discouragement, complaint. Victim mentality, defeated mindset. I will only bow to King Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God which saves me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You say, Paul, you can't talk like that. Do you know who's in the room? You're gonna get canceled. I'd rather be canceled by man than canceled by my Father in heaven because I didn't have a spine to take a stand in 2023. The line is being drawn. Where do you stand? You either stand with Jesus or you don't. Here's the good news. Jesus is always willing to accept anyone who's ready to take a stand. The king said, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow. We're going to play the music. If you bow, I'll forget what you did. We'll call it the fog of war. We'll pretend you didn't know what was going on. But if you choose not to bow a second time, we're going to crank that furnace up hotter. Everybody say, things are heating up. He says, once it's hotter, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him in verse 16, King Nebuchadnezzar. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Sometimes you just don't need to defend yourself. Sometimes you just stand. And people are watching. Everyone was watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People will watch when you walk through trials. They'll watch to see if you stand or if you crumble. They said, we won't defend ourselves. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And we believe that he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And I love this next verse, this is my favorite verse. He says, but even if he does not, even if he doesn't, we still refuse to bow down to your golden image. When my dad passed away, I was so hurt and disappointed and, and angry because I was like, he's 57 years old, he's, he's like young and he's amazing and he's this mighty man of God and he's my dad and pastor and like my best friend. And the whole world seemed to be praying for him and our church was praying for him. And I really felt like he was going to get healed and leave that hospital and come back and preach. And when he didn't, I just remember struggling really hard with my faith. I still believe that Jesus was real. I still believe he died on the cross and and rose from the grave. But I really started questioning a lot of what I had been taught. I started questioning faith and I started questioning healing. And I I started honestly wondering if some of the miracles I saw growing up were like actors or actresses. I started like really just feeling like maybe this thing had some fakeness to it. And yet I was the college pastor, which sounds terrible. And this story is gonna get better. I promise you're like, this is cringy. We're leaving right now. He doesn't believe in God. I do, but I need to tell you what I went through because I was preaching during this time, but I was bleeding off stage. And, And I would get up and preach on Tuesday nights at our college service. And then I would just weep and like just discouraged. And people would ask me to come pray for their family members. And I always had an excuse. I wasn't lying. I would look for excuses. But deep down inside, I felt like my prayers didn't work or maybe the healing message wasn't real. And I was like, I can't pray for your dad. Maybe another pastor can, maybe someone else can, sorry. And then I went on a mission trip to Dominican Republic. Four months after my dad passed, we were in uh, this city in Dominican Republic doing an outdoor crusade and, and my mom preached and I preached and another guy named Edwin preached. And, I remember after preaching the message, I did an altar call for people to get saved and people got saved. And then they said, Paul, are you going to do a healing call? And I said, "Uh, no, someone else can do a healing call. Someone else can do a healing call. And they said, why not you? I said, I'm just tired. I, I just got done preaching. Someone else can do it. And I remember going backstage and I saw people getting healed and I really was challenged with it. It was like there was this tug of war going on over my heart. And I could feel the enemy just wrestling me. And I was mad when I saw people get healed. I was like, either that's fake or if it's real, I'm really mad because why didn't this happen for my dad? And then we left the mission strip and I got back home and months went on. And still, I just didn't want to go to the hospital. I didn't want to pray for anybody to get healed because I was like, it was like I, I had settled for a half version Christianity. Honestly, throw up that picture of that bear behind the cage again, if you have that bear behind the cage. Because in a way, I felt like I had been caged and shackled by disappointment. And I wanted to believe in the full, like, Christianity that other people believed in, but I was like, I just, based on what I've experienced, I don't know if that's for everybody. I don't know if that's for me. And then we went to Brazil. And this was eight or nine months after my dad passed. This was July of 2010. And I remember being in Brazil, we were ministering in the streets and at the end of the mission trip, we did a big crusade in Sao Paulo, outdoor crusade. And uh, we we, we partnered with the power team. You guys remember the power team? That's a whole nother sermon. They like broke bricks and tore phone books. It was wild. Anyways, we were there with the power team and they were doing their stunts and they were like, you know, all that stuff. And then I get up and preach, and almost a 1,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus. And it was awesome. And then the power team guys came up to me, and they were like, you're going to do the healing call, right? And I was like, no, you guys can and They were like, why aren't you going to do it? You're the pastor here. I said, listen, I, I'm really tired. And, I just, and they were like, I'm not buying that. And I was like, okay, power team, just chill out. I was like, y'all can do it. So I walk backstage, and they were like, we're going to break some bricks and let you think about it. So they're out there breaking bricks. I go backstage, and I'm sitting with the interpreter. The interpreter, Manny, he walks back there, and he goes, hey, Paul. I said, yeah, Manny, what's up? He said, you don't know this, but eight days ago, my wife died. I said, what? How old was she? He said, she was 34 years old. I said, what? How did she die? He said, lymphoma cancer. I said, that's the same cancer my dad died from. I said, Manny, I'm so sorry. Why didn't you tell me? You've been with our team the last eight days. I said, you should be home, man. You should be grieving. Why are you here? Like, Why are you at church things? And why are you worshiping? You should be sad. He said, no, Paul. He said, let me tell you why I'm here. He said, I watched your dad's funeral last year in 2009 on YouTube. He said, I was in Brazil, and I remember people talking about your dad, and I wanted to see who he was, what he was about. He said, the funeral was like four hours long. It was really long. I said, I remember. He said, I didn't care what any of those other preachers had to say. I really just wanted to hear what his kids had to say and his wife, your mom. He said, I listened to your mom, Sharon. She talked. Then I listened to your sisters, your brother. He said, but I was really fixated on what you said. He was like, do you remember what you said? I said, man, I, it's a blur. Like the last eight months have been really depressing. I don't remember. He said, you talked about your dad giving you two thumbs up and... He said, but then you said something right before you got down. He said, you said that no matter what happened and no matter what happens, you're going to worship Jesus, regardless of answered prayers or not. And he said, did you mean that? I said, yes, I meant it. He said, don't you think these people here tonight deserve a chance to get prayed for, to be healed? I said, yeah, but to be honest, I'm I'm not the right guy to pray for him. My prayers didn't work on my dad. He said, look, isn't it an act of worship towards Jesus to choose to believe that he can still heal even though it didn't go your way on a prayer you prayed? I said, yeah, I can see that. He said, listen, faith begins where understanding ends. Faith begins when life doesn't make sense. Faith does not begin when all your prayers get answered and your kids get healed and everything works out for your marriage and your family and you get everything you want and the OU Sooners win and all that stuff. Like faith, faith kicks in when nothing goes your way. Faith kicks in when you're like Job and you've walked through Grief and loss and trials and the sickness hasn't left and you still lift your hands to worship Jesus. You still show up on a Sunday in October and say, I refuse to bow down to an antichrist spirit. I refuse to stay in my home and settle for a caged Christianity. I choose to worship even though I feel like pain and I feel terrible and life is hard and I'm trying to get through some things and nobody knows what I'm going through. That's when real faith kicks in. And he said, Paul, I need to tell you something. Eight days ago, before my wife died, when she still could talk, before she lost her voice, before the chemo started stealing all of her strength, he said she laid in the hospital bed one of the days before she passed. And with what strength she had left, she grabbed my hand and said, Manny, promise me something. He said, anything, babe. She says, I need you to promise me something. He said, okay, I'll promise you. She says, no, before I say what it is, I need you to promise me that you will do what I'm asking you to do. And he said, okay, okay, what is it? She said, promise me that when I'm gone, he said, stop, 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 you're gonna get healed. She said, no, 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 promise me when I'm gone that you won't stop believing that God is still the healer. Promise me when I'm gone that you won't stop believing. He's still the healer. And he goes, babe, babe, I can't. She says, no, you swear to me. You swear to me, Manny. He says, okay, okay, all right, okay. I promise you, babe, I'll still believe God is the healer even if he doesn't heal you. She says, yes, because he is. He's still the healer. Manny said, she passed away. And i've been with your team these last eight days and i've been waiting for you to give people a chance to get healed and he said paul i know you're hurting man like we all hurt dude i know i know you walk through grief we've all walked through grief he's like you didn't lose your wife i lost mine but you lost your dad he's like look what if we go out on that stage as two broken men two wounded guys offering people a chance to receive healing and maybe Maybe we get to see the miracle, maybe we get to be the miracle. Maybe, sometimes you get to see it, sometimes you get to be it, okay? Now I'm like, well, I don't have an option. I gotta go now, because I'm crying. So I was like, let's do this. And so we go out on that stage, we're both crying. Power team is done with their brick breaking. We go out there, and I did the worst altar call. It was terrible, I was like, if you wanna get healed, I'm not promising anything's gonna happen. Like, don't hold me accountable if it doesn't happen. I'm sorry. I'm, I don't even know if I should ask you. But if you want prayer for healing, I may not, my prayers may not work. But you can come down here. It was. It was really lousy. But people came down. I don't know how many came down, but there was lots. And as they started coming down, I was like, I don't know that I want to do this. Because what if it works? And then what if I'm really hurt more? Because now it's working for them and it's not working. And... Now I'm hurting for Manny, and Manny says, stop, man. This isn't about us. Our faith is not based on our experiences. Our faith is not based on what we walk through. Our faith is based in the character of God. Our faith is not based on what you walk through or I walk. Our faith is based in the word that was written thousands of years ago that has stood the test of time. He's good. He's good. He's still good. He's still the healer. We start praying for people. People start getting healed. And with each person that got healed, I had to step back because I could just tell the Holy Spirit was working on me. And I was like, Dad, if you could see this, you'd be so proud of me, man. And I remember just standing there, and I was like, God, I just wish he was here. Like, I just wish this thing happened for him too. But I could hear the Lord saying, your dad ran his race. He's in glory now, like he's in heaven. And you can't wrestle over things that don't make sense to you. Faith begins where understanding ends. You can live your whole life questioning, bitter, angry, spiritually sick because you don't don't understand why things went the way they did. Or you can choose to give it to God. And when you do, God starts healing you on the inside. And with each person we prayed for. I could feel like God was mending my heart. And then I felt called to pray for people with cancer. And I was like, if you have cancer, come down to the altar. And Manny looked at me, he was like, bro. I was like, I know we got to do this though. I didn't want to look at him. I could just feel him looking at me. And so he says it in Portuguese and people start coming down and y'all people got healed that night. People started getting healed on the spot of all kinds of sickness and disease. A week later, we got reports from pastors saying, People who got prayed for for cancer. Someone got healed of a tumor dissolving at the altar. A tumor dissolved. But then a week later, they said people who got prayed for for cancer went to their doctors and cancer had disappeared. Now, I'm not saying it happens for every single person. You can already hear the cages inside of me trying to talk. But here's what I'm saying, God is still the healer. He's still the redeemer. He's still the savior. He's still worthy of your worship. Even if he doesn't do it for you, he's still worthy. Even if he doesn't, he still deserves praise. And I refuse to bow to a partial Christianity. I refuse to bow to a half-hearted, lukewarm Christianity. I choose to stand, even if it doesn't make sense to you or me, I choose to stand on the Word of God. I choose to stand on the character of God. He's faithful, He's faithful. He's still worthy, He's still good. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, He's still Jehovah, He's still Yahweh, Elohim, He's still peace. He is Jehovah Shalom, He is Jehovah Nisi, He is Jehovah Rapha, He is my healer, He is my shepherd. I can just see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in front of the king, and they're looking at the king, and they're like, look, you can kill us, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. We win either way. It was like they were committed to this because they would rather live for the king of all the world than bow to a king that was temporarily in place of position. And the king threw them in the fire. He said, fine. You're going in. Talk about unsafe faith. God didn't deliver them from having to walk through the fire. But while they were in the fire, I can hear Oral Roberts talking about the fourth man in the fire. While they were in the fire, bound up, firmly tied, the king jumped to his feet in verse 24. And he said, Didn't we throw just three men into that fire? They said, Yes, Your Majesty. He said, Look, I see a fourth man walking with them in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and he looks like God Himself. Nebuchadnezzar said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of the fire. When they came out of the fire, they didn't even smell like smoke. Their robes were not even scorched. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in God. Look at that. He says they trusted in their God. And they defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives. Rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. I want to just pray for you today. I just feel to pray for people who are, you're in a tug of war on your faith. You're walking through trials. It's like the enemy has been trying to rob you of this faith in God that does not line up with logic or reason. This faith in God that supersedes disappointment and pain. The enemy has been trying to use every dart he can throw to try to steal and rob your faith in God, your trust in God. Maybe you've been battling all kinds of different things, discouragement, fear, apathy, depression, just feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're walking through the fire right now. I want to pray for you. Whatever it is, I want you to just leave your seat. Come, just leave your seat. Come join me at the altar. If you're here today and you just go, man, I just got to go down to that altar. I got to surrender. I got to surrender. I got to let the Holy Spirit touch my heart today. I got to let God begin to mend some places in my heart where I've been holding on to some hurt, some bitterness, some anger, some resentment, some disappointment that just just needs God's hand on right now. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lines.
1: Lines. Get up
0: and pray. If you need healing today, I want to pray for people to get healed physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, healing in your family, healing in your relationships. If you need to get right with God and repent of sin, come down to the altar. Just surrender to Jesus today.
1: healing so change fall, fear must bow here now because Jesus, Jesus you change everything
0: These bones will sing gray heart I will still sing, I will still worship the earth will shine. Church, that's what it's gonna be like right there. What we just finished with right there. The enemy hates it when believers move past the goosebumps and the feelings and the answered prayers. When believers go, you know what? I'm in this. I'll sing when the music stops. I'll worship when I grieve. I'll worship when I go through disappointment. The devil will not steal my faith. He's not going to get my song. He's not going to get my heart. I'm not going to bow down to a spirit of fear or a spirit of shame. And I just felt like God was healing hearts today. I felt like God was healing people's faith today. He's reviving your faith. For some, I could feel like some of you were breaking the cage off. It was like you were singing for the first time with a real spirit of release. God was, and some of you were crying for the first time in a long time. And the Lord said, those tears are going to heal areas in your heart where you've been closed off. You've had walls and locks all around it. But God's saying, I'm coming into your heart and I'm making all things new and I'm cleaning out spaces where it's been very dry and dirty and dark and painful and and you haven't wanted anyone to know and God says I'm healing areas today I'm healing areas of your heart and your mind and I just speak that over people today who are believing healing I pray God for healing in people's bodies I pray for healing in marriages and families God in individuals today God, and those that are here today, and and they're standing by themselves at this altar, but they're not alone. You're with them. You're walking with them through that fire, and they're going to come out on the other side, God, with the testimony of your grace, of your faithfulness, of your mercy. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose from the grave, and I confess you as my Lord my savior, my healer, you're still the healer, you're still the redeemer, you're my God and I trust in you beyond my understanding and I choose to follow you. My faith is in you, Lord, and I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you, Victory. God loves you. Be blessed today.